one, and we're live! Greetings, friends of the apocalypse. This is uh, Jared the Apocalypse, Nerd Wallace from Podcast at Ground Zero, episode 38, The Cold Apocalypse. As always, Don't you think we should have had this be episode 32, since that's the temperature in Fahrenheit that water freezes? All right, moving on. Uh, <laughs> yes, but we didn't think of it until last week. Yeah, uh, we really didn't. Uh, joining us, uh, you know, is my uh, stalwart co-host, uh, Adam Bond-Glancy, and joining us this week is a special guest, because he doesn't come on as much as William Thrasher, <laughs> so he, he really is a special guest. We have... Clint Odin Staples. Yay. Yay. And and I only say that, Clint, because you're posting that picture on Facebook. You're like, I'm looking more like Odin all the time with your eye patch and the Viking helmet on. So that was my that was my uh, son's idea. My, <laughs> did you uh did, did how many uh I guess you don't have a horse, but does your does your cat have eight legs? I see your cat stalking around <laughs> behind you. No, that is not a beneficial mutation for, for either, Scott, so oh, no. Okay. I do have a spear, if that helps. That does. All that right. does. So you were, a sac you were a sacrifice in Odin yourself to yourself? Myself so. to myself, yeah. Um, <laughs> it doesn't sound as brave or as heroic as you want it to nowadays yeah. on the Internet, so no. No, it does not. So right. Don't play that. So uh, Clint Staples, that guy's uh, folks, he's been, he's been with us before. He's a game designer. He's a sculptor, and as he states now, he's a uh, all-around apocaloon. So uh, <laughs> which I like. Apocaloon is the national bird of Canada, right? So perfect. So yes, Clint is from the Great White North, and since we're calling, talking about the cold and the apocalypse. I thought it would be perfect to have Mr. Staples on because he is in the cold apocalypse right now. He states yeah. it's currently about uh, uh, negative uh, 25 degrees Celsius for all us, uh, you know, uh, non barbarians down here in the south. Exactly. Who who use, uh, you know, the uh, was it? What are we? Are, are we imperial or the, you know? The, um, yeah, they're the metric we're imperial top. Yeah. See the result of American education. But uh, <laughs> <laughs> but uh, and he says it's about you know it's about you know. 25 degrees Celsius metric and about 15 minus 15 below Imperial or Fahrenheit. Something so, like that. I, I don't do Fahrenheit anymore, so I could be wrong. It might be a few few degrees either way. So. Uh, you know what? If, if you're still stating it's negative, it, you're fine. It's, the ballpark is good because it's still <laughs> ass cold. You know? It is ass cold, yeah. Uh, so, what's it, there's a temperature, isn't there, where Fahrenheit and Celsius meet up exactly? It's in the negative yeah. somewhere? 40? Yeah. I think it's 40. Yeah. Oh God. <laughs> We've had days like that. Uh, we haven't had any this year, but uh, we're still getting January is our coldest month, so we could hit minus forty yet. So. All right. Well, we're, we're going to have to we're going to have to completely uh, shake you down for all the horrifying Jack London details of <laughs> of what it's like out there. Um, because to build, a, to build a fire. Oh my God. Who, who didn't read that in frickin' middle school, right? Yes, <laughs> yes, which is which is why that shtick with the Tauntaun works so good in Empire Strikes Back, because oh, yeah. my my school had prepped me with some Jack London before we got there. <laughs> so as you've all, as so the audience said, you value, we're going to be talking about the cold, and like I said, Mr. Mr. Staples was that, so we wanted to have him on. So we're going to talk about the cold and the apocalypse. You know, there are... There, there are some movies out there, not not an overwhelming amount. It's not like, you know, zombies where, you know, you can't, you know, shake a stick without hitting. And there isn't there, 
Well, there's not really a cold. I mean, there's dead. Was it uh, Dead Winter with the Nazis, frozen Nazi zombies? Uh, yeah, it was. Oh, uh, oh, I'm forgetting the name. Yeah, dead, dead Snow. Dead Snow. Dead Snow. Yes, with the Nazi zombies in Norway, which yeah. sounds like a great idea. Well, that was that was sort of my. That's one of your tropes. That when did we start seeing zombies freezing, Jared? Was it uh, was it in uh, uh, the 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 uh, Walking Dead comic book? No, uh, it was Max Brooks. Yeah, he's the one who popularized it. But remember, if you remember, I talked about that before Max Brooks said it, and this is only because. It was in the 90s. I was still working at Publix. Uh, for folks who don't know that, that's a grocery store chain in Florida in the southeast. I was working in produce, which is next to the meat department. And I was, again, because I'm a hipster, I was into zombies before zombies were zombies. And, um, and I was thinking about it because I was watching the guys in the meat department. And they were taking the meat out of the freezer before they cut it. I'm like, why do you guys do that? They're like, well, it's easier to cut when it's yep. frozen. So they, because they would cut it on the bandsaws, like the big hunks of meat. So they'd freeze it first, and then cut it. And I'm like, and that that got me thinking. I'm like, okay, well that's dead meat, no circulation, and it freezes in the cold. Zombies are meat. Wouldn't they freeze in the cold? So I was already thinking about it. And then of course Max Brooks wrote about it. And of course everything's Ma everything's Max Brooks's idea. He did it first. So well, remember he's he's had your house under surveillance for the past like. 10 years. 20 years. Yeah. 20 years. More importantly, Jared, you were a double hipster because you read oh. the zombies before it was cool and then you came up with the freezing zombie before it was cool. Oh, dude, I'm, I'm like a quadruple uh, hipster, you know. I, you know. <laughs> um, I was going to say that uh, the zombies from Dead Snow have a supernatural aspect. It's yeah, something it to do with uh, Nazis and the occult. So well, I'm, I'm good with that. I mean, you know, the... Uh, Old Norse mythology is filled with all kinds oh. of oh, that wander through the snow and ice and stuff like that. So, what's it called, the Ragnar or something? The, the pardon? There's something like a uh, the Ragnar. It's like a it's like a barrow white or a uh, something that guards um, graves from desecration. They're, they've got a yeah, they're, they're called draug. Draug. Uh, or draug. draug in uh, in for plural. Um, and there's different kinds of them, and they like there's uh, they have different capacities, sort of like uh, different interpretations of vampires in southern Europe. Um, but they're definitely supernatural. They definitely inhabit their, the barrows that they that they were buried in, and uh, and they are certainly move, able to move around at night in or in the cold rather in, in the winter. So. It would be a pretty pathetic supernatural monster in Scandinavia that didn't just walk around in the cold with its balls out going, ha, 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 whatever, well, yeah. you mortals. <laughs> yeah, like, okay, I'm a drug, so it's August, so I'll see you guys in April. So <laughs> have fun, you know. I'll be back April 15th or so. Mark your calendars. Revenge is coming. Yeah, so. All right, so, um, uh, uh, so the yeah the dead snow zombies were were supernatural and we haven't really had a lot of snow apocalypses. We got a really short list of apocalypses where we we were done in by the fact that it was cold outside. Um, did we lose Jared? Yeah. Now. No, I'm losing you guys. 
Okay, good. We're having some bad. We're having some bad connections. Hmm. Okay. Yeah, we're having bad connections uh, this time around. All right. Uh, so I, I, see, I don't I know what you, it is. I see you moving now, but for a moment there, you're uh, frozen. You're frozen there for a second. All right. Well, I'm back. All right, but before, but before we get uh, a little more toward deep into it, the only thing I really have to uh, share, just a couple of quick things. Um, I picked up the uh, big... Um, I always get their fucking their name wrong. Big Finish? Or um, who is it? It's... Um, Big Finish Productions, the guy who did the guy who do the audio books and the audio uh, stories and plays and stuff like that. They did the Survivors, uh, the audio, the audio, uh, the audio uh, stories, dramas. Plus, they've done a lot of Doctor Who and Blake Seven. They released a audio book of the reading of the Terry Nation novelization of Survivors. Hmm. Okay, that's that the, originally that one was never made into a. It was written by Terry Nation, but it was never made into a an episode, right? Well, no, it's it's the uh, it's like I think it's like a combination of like three books. I've only found one though uh, that came out in the it came out in the seventies, but it's a, it's an, it's uh, the reading of the of the book. So which I think I don't I don't know if the which came first the book or the series. I think he you know I think he might have wrote the book afterwards uh, yeah. to, to go along with it. And it's a little bit different. Uh, you know, it's being read by Car uh, Caroline Seymour, who yep. play who plays. Um, who plays a? Uh, oh my God! I just been listening. To, I can't remember her effing name. Um, uh, and, uh, Abby Grant. Thank you. Uh, she, you know, she's reading. She's reading. Reading the audio. Reading the book. So it's interesting because again, I've seen the series and hearing and, and doing the book, hearing it a little bit different. They talk about a little bit different things. So it's 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 an interesting perspective. And of course, if you've never read or seen the series. You know, it's a it's a download that you can pick up and you know listen to the you know the reading of you know, audio books. I, I like them for my drive back and forth to work. So I, I suspected for a second as you were crashing on the name Amy uh, uh, Grant, Abby Grant. Abby Grant, that you were going to go for uh, Servalin. You're just going to call her Commander Servalin from I, I uh, might have <laughs> from Blake Seven, just as a placeholder. So, uh, so that's about the only thing really that I've come up with. I mean, there's been some things here and there. I've just been busy with a lot of other crap. Uh, the only other thing is I got a last last show. I announced the new uh, Deep One, Drew of the Deep One's amulet. I now have the Esoteric Order of Dagon coin, and so I'm going to show that off. Um, it has arrived in Portland, and they're working on getting them up on the website now. So as soon as I get them on the web, they get them on the website. I could let people know they're for sale. So that's the drawback of not running your own site anymore. Um, <laughs> But it, you know, it's a what what that time versus you know it's you know, uh, so here if I could get it to focus. Yay! Yay! Okay, well, if you focus. say yay, he can't show it. Yeah, hold on, can I get the focus here? Hold on, let me uh, let me freeze my camera on me so I could get it to focus here. It just doesn't want to focus. Well, focus on my hand sometimes. All right, it doesn't want to focus on it, uh, folks. But I'll go. Oh, there you oh, go. There you go. There you go. Don't move it. So there's side one of the coin. Again, it's the same deep one artwork. Again, done by uh, Heather Hudson. So there's side one of the coin. Oh, oh, and and what does it say at the bottom? It's Secrecy, loyalty, breed. breed. The three the three oaths. You know. That's awesome. Secrecy, loyalty, breed. 
And then on the back, you know, because it came from the Order of Dagon Hall in Smith, Massachusetts. Here. Again, I, I lost my focus, but you guys get get the point. So that's our that's our new that's our that's the new coin, the, which will be available on the site soon. I'm also working on a Nyarlathotep coin. So mm -hmm. why so many coins, Jared? Well, because I like coins. You know, I have a <laughs> I have a whole little display right here uh, by my desk that's got all my all the coins I've done plus other coins I've gotten because you know coins are cool. So. Absolutely, and we'll be and and we'll be we'll be working on that Delta Green coin come this spring. Yep. Once we get the, the you guys get the Kickstarter, we'll get the Delta Green coin out there. So, all right. So that's really that's really all I had. So I wanted to move on to the just, let's just move on to the cold. Um, like I, I said, we got, any, I don't have any apocalypses myself because I've been too busy with the uh, uh, you know the uh, Kickstarter. Trying to fulfill the Kickstarter for Horrors of War and working on the Delta Green Turtle, so I got nothing in the apocalypse. Yeah, I got nothing new. I'm sure there's stuff out there. I just haven't been, really been looking that hard uh, this last two weeks. I said um, we were trying to make some decisions on uh, our move and other uh, crap. We got other crap going on, so it's like you know, like I said, this you know, unfortunately, sometimes gets uh, gets to take a back seat. You know, Damn, so. I don't know. Well, like I said, I, well, I did finish playing through the Metro 2033 Redux, and like I said, they changed enough of it to uh, make it different, and, you know, that could be, uh, you know, well, you know what, like, like I said, Cold Apocalypse. Now, what? Now, if, let's define it a little bit. Like, as we were talking before the show, is like, is the Cold Apocalypse only going to be, all right, the end of the world was brought on by the cold, or can it possibly also be the end of the world had happened, and it's just damn cold because of it afterwards. Because, you know, not every apocalypse, you know, is cold, you know, is normal or sunshine. A lot of times you get your nuclear winters or you get other things happening, and it gets cold as fuck, and it stays cold. Like in Metro 2033, it's just a frozen wasteland, you know, after that. So I'm, I'm good with both definitions. Like it could have been caused by, you know, the new ice age, or the planet being shifted, and Scott will bring up that story. Or I think it's even stuff like how the world afterwards, like, you know, the nuclear war or whatever's happening, blocking up the sun, it's getting colder and colder, because that's really causing a lot of the apocalypse too, because, as we know, as things get cold, things get more difficult. Just like if it got hot uh, or if it was, you know, normal, cold brings on its own special challenges, you know, especially in the, especially in the apocalypse, because... You know, in, in modern day in modern day society, we have you know engine block heaters. We have you know you know bulldozers that get snow out of the road. We have all our nice new clothing and heated this and uh, you know central air heat or fireplaces or things that keep us uh, warm. You know, but when keep all us the, not dead. Yeah, and, but you know when after after it all goes down and you don't have the modern conveniences the cold becomes a big problem. Like, I was reading to Scott, I, I came across this um, little blog site called The Case of Survival, and they talk about the cold and they talk about the winter, and the thing I liked about this one little uh, pair, this two, three sentences they wrote, talked about, but instead of a warm house and hot chocolate to come home to, you have a drafty, echoey ruin. Your only heat from a bonfire that chokes as much as it warms you. It's not, it's going to be unpleasant. <laughs> you know, so... Um, that's that's what I liked uh, out of that there. So uh, 
So yeah, so like I said, it's um, like I said, you know, Clint, you got to deal with the cold. You know, you got that. You know, negative temperatures. I mean, yep. how does that affect your How does that affect your day to day life? You got to go out to the store. You got to get stuff, or you guys just no stuff's coming. And you or do you stock up and just wait it out? Essentially, well, I mean, you, consider what right? I mean, people still go around their about their daily lives and everything like that, and and it's you know we're we've adapted to the cold the same way that people in Florida adapt to the heat, right? In reverse, but we have all those conveniences. We have block heaters and we have central heat and stuff like that. So most people in the really cold weather get from their heated house, they go into their garage and get in their car and they drive to the store and they run from the you know, uh, walk briskly from the car to the store and stuff like that, and they may maintain as high a core temperature and as little time in the cold as possible. But you can't always do that, and that's why people keep survival things, you know, survival kits in their car with filled with uh, twelve-hour candles and uh, lighters and uh, energy bars. And uh, all right, let's let's hear a little bit more about this. Just just here you are in twenty-first century Canada. Uh, what city are you living in? Tell the folks which city it is. Winnipeg, Manitoba, Canada. Okay. And this is a, a first world country, as yep. modern as, as it can possibly be. Pretty and much. yet, you've still got a survival kit for your car for the winter months, just well, in case. Not what everybody can... does that, but the smart people do. Because so, what, What's in yours? Off the road into a ditch here. Uh, I mean, where you where you are... If you run off the road into a ditch, you're usually traveling three or four hundred feet down yeah. <laughs> into the ditch, right? So where we are, you're not going to die from from running off the road unless you're going really fast. But you could spend 12 hours in minus 30 degree temperatures without a car that runs 40 miles from nowhere. Uh, so uh, in Canada, the uh, uh, the population centers are much more uh, concentrated. So uh, we have, say, in Manitoba, we have a city uh, of about 750,000 people called Winnipeg, and that's about 98% of our population for a, a province that is roughly the size of Texas, right? So uh, in one population center, all of the other ones are, uh, there's two other significant towns, Brandon and, uh, and Portage La Prairie, that probably amount to another 40 or 50,000 50, altogether. And then the rest of them are in thousand person towns and villages and uh, stuff like that. And then, and that's in the south. In the north, the population distribution is even uh, more sparse. So you can spend a long time without seeing folks, especially in bad weather. So being prepared is a good plan. Now, once upon a time, the uh the the uh, Aborigines are up there. They had an even sparser population. They could, I presume, they could put up with the cold by moving south like animals, by being nomadic, by just going south and then going north, depending on what time of year it was. Um, yeah, I think there's some indication of that. Um, there, but, is there any indication in your in your Canadian archaeology of of any kind of permanence in that kind of an environment? Yeah, in the in the northern areas, like the what they call the northern woodlands, as opposed mm -hmm. to the Great Plains, like Winnipeg and Manitoba is sort of the the gate, what they call the gateway to the Great Plains. We're right on the the uh, the edge of the Canadian Shield, and so from Winnipeg all the way to the Rockies is the Great Plains, and that was a very highly nomadic area for native peoples uh, back in the day. 
the the Sioux, the the Lakota, the um, the the, uh, the Plains Cree uh, stuff like that were all over uh, moving uh, continually. Uh, but as I remember from uh, from research that I did probably two and a half decades ago, uh, the, uh, the the woodland native folk, native people uh, didn't really migrate as much. So they just hunkered down and uh, lived carefully. Here, here's another question about the environment I gotta ask is because um, my impression is is that there's a big chunk of Manitoba Manitoba doesn't have and Saskatchewan as the big plains the prairie uh, provinces don't have the kind of taiga pine forest that you get in some place like Siberia um, that it's uh, that it's a lot in you know it's the in the summers it becomes hordes of black flies and in the winter it's Frozen into a into a into concrete. Um, that's the story I get um, when I you know one of the things I think about with the cold is fuel. Yeah. And what is there to burn up? What is there to burn that's not trucked in from the outside or or dug out of the ground? I mean, how are you guys set for for coal mines? I guess. Well, we have a fair amount of trees in the north. Um, uh, if you uh, look at a map of Manitoba, you'll see two big lakes right in the middle of it, Lake Winnipeg and Lake Manitoba, and uh, they're the biggest freshwater lakes outside of uh, the Great Lakes, and so they're quite large. And from about there up, it becomes really pretty heavily wooded, uh, as well as further east in Ontario and stuff like that. And then there are wooded areas uh, elsewhere. But yeah, if there were large populations that needed that suddenly needed to go back to uh, to using fossil fuels that that couldn't be brought up out of the ground, uh, the wood would go away pretty quick. Uh, but the, like I said, the population distribution in northern Manitoba, anywhere from Gimli up, which is right on the great on the uh, on Lake Winnipeg, is very low. So we're talking about a handful of people per square mile for most of them. So. Yeah, because I'm sure it's very uh, you know it's not that it's uninhabitable, but it's not it's not, you know, user-friendly. They're not great. Uh, large portions of it are native reservations who are tend not to be treated terribly well by uh, by the Canadian government. So hey, some... just like America! But, uh... <laughs> uh, so there's, there's not much in the way of infrastructure for people moving up and down uh, the, uh, the height of Manitoba from north and south. So... Uh, I, venture, I would venture to say, though, that people in the north, uh, uh, there's still a lot of uh, native people that are involved in trapping and fishing and uh, uh, not exactly traditional lifestyles, but definitely living closer to the land than, say, me in uh, urban, I live in an urban, an old urban neighborhood in the center of Winnipeg. So oh, yeah. I know how to clean a fish, but I haven't done it since I was 16. Stuff yeah, like that. And, they, and they're more adapted for... Like I said, if the cold apocalypse came, they're probably going to fare a lot better than, you know, even though in your urban ozone there, you know, uh, you're used to the cold, but they're, they're used to the cold. They're living it, whereas, you know, we, you still have a lot of modern conveniences to help out with that, whereas that's going to be the deciding factor. Once you lose it, once you get the apocalypse and you move the, lose the modern uh, conveniences, it just all goes to shit. Like, well, like any kind of apocalypse. But I think the extreme cold brings on a different 
you know, set of uh, urgency well, and survival I'm, skills. I'm going to be a bit of a dick here and suggest that um, in some way, the, the cold has got a couple of extra goodie problems we don't normally think about. One of them is uh, your caloric intake goes up in the cold. Yep. In order oh, yeah. to stay warm, you're going to exhaust your food supplies quicker. Um, you also have the fuel problem of trying to stay warm. Uh, one wonders if you wouldn't be better off, well, you, if a society or a group wouldn't be better off in a cold apocalypse because the cold's going to pick off people, uh, and once they're gone, they're not going to exhaust the food supply. And that if, if the cold thins out the young'uns and the old'uns, um, maybe that means that the group has a better chance of, uh, 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 for long-term survival, uh, rather than, uh, you know, exhausting their food supply, putting it down bellies that aren't going to be here in a month or two, uh, because of the cold conditions, because you well, can't, Well, uh, and, and I can see that with the oldens, but with the youngins, they're the ones who are going to need to fill the ranks as the, the core people start getting older and falling off. You need, you need replacement units to, yeah. to fill, to fill in. You know, people will manage replacement units. Yeah, I was about to say there's going to be a gap. But you end up with a gap where, you know, all the all your toddler age folks who can't even remotely look out for themselves um, might fall to the wayside, and you've got this weird gap in the generation where you lose those those people that age, and once the population settles down to living like Inuit, um, they can start working on replacements again. Yeah, but um, well, they they, admit, they mentioned that actually they talked about that. I was when I was listening to the survivors book, they talk about it a little bit more. They're about the the gauge gap because there's like mainly middle aged people, not a lot of kids. Like you have some maybe seven to ten early teens, but not a lot of little kids because even if they survived whatever plague it was, there's nobody to take care of them, and they're gonna they're gonna drop off, like Scott said, you know. Yeah. From anything, from getting scratched in a piece of rusty metal to running out of food to falling down and breaking bones. Um, but uh, the other thing I was going to um, sort of throw out there uh, as well is that um, uh, on the subject of living like Inuit, um, if you've ever seen, there's a movie out there called Antarajarat, The Fast Runner, which is this really odd film set in Eskimo culture. And it, you know, it, it, you can't tell what year the film is supposed to be set in, because you never see a rifle, and you never see a, a, a something built by Westerners. So it could be 1500, it could be the year 1000, it could be nine. You know, you don't know when these people are living their life, because it's all the pre-contact stuff. But one of the big things that happens in it is you, throughout the course of the film, you watch people eat. And the thing that was fucked up and weird about people eating in that environment, that cold, cold environment was that blubber uh, is burned like oil from animals, you know, fats burned for, you just get the food and the meat up to room to, to, to just warm enough to chew on. Yep. There is no cooked food. It is just get that stuff up warm enough to chew on and then that rabbit or that seal or what are you know, a bird or you know, goes right in, and suddenly cooking isn't a matter of you know, oh, nice roast pizza. Mm -mm, no, you uh, you just you don't burn up all your fuel getting the temperature that high to roast something. You just warm it up, and you practically are eating it raw. Uh, fish well, thing is that uh, so many of the animals that you're talking about, 
wouldn't survive an extended winter. Yeah. Right? So, I mean, the reason that seals survive is because there's a thaw and they can come ashore so they can have their pups and, uh, and let their pups basically grow to, to something like maturity on shore with short, you know, swimming periods and stuff like that. Same thing with rabbits and all kinds of other creatures. They, they, they endure the winter and they get fat in the spring and summer and fall. Right? If there's no spring and summer and fall, the number of prey animals is going to drop right through, right through the toilet, which means that the food that's available suddenly starts to look like Aunt, uh, Aunt June that walked out into the cold a couple of months ago. Mm -hmm. Well, yeah, that, exactly. Besides that, that's a very good point, Clint, uh, about the about the just animals. Because I was also going to bring up uh, agriculture on top of that, you know, because that's another thing. Agriculture yep. becomes almost non-existent unless you're in greenhouses. Because if it's cold, if it's cloudy, if there's no sun, you can't grow crops. The ground is frozen. We don't get civilization without agriculture. End yeah. of story. Well, we don't get animals without agriculture because most of the animals at some point have to rely on on uh, grain or grasses or flowers or something like that. Even if they're carnivores, they're still eating uh, herbivores. And if the herbivores are gone, the carnivores are gone. Uh, fortunately, we're not going to necessarily run out of oxygen once we kill off all of our land-based plants because <laughs> supposedly the plankton is supposed to make up the difference. Um, that's where most yeah, of our oxygen is. Will the plankton be able to generate oxygen if... if uh, the amount of ice covers what, say, uh, seventy percent of the world. Or yeah, I, I, when you were talking about the animals can't live in that environment. I mean, it depends yeah. on what your cold apocalypse is. If, if yeah. you know, Florida and the Caribbean is now living the lifestyle of the Arctic Circle. Yeah. Right, where there's there are only open waters at the Mediterranean, at the equator. Excuse me, and yeah. you've got uh, Inuit who are now hunting seals in uh, Haiti because. Yeah. You know, uh, that's where the seals have moved to because they can't, they can't live in an ice pack that never opens. Right. right? They they have to have open water yeah. to survive. You know, and you've got all these animals pushed south to a certain extent. And people, you might have Inuit, but if they, but only if they get to move. You know, they, yeah. if they can move south to Texas, then the Inuit will be fine as long as they have some water and uh, some ice pack to work on. But Texans not so good. They're probably not doing as well. As long as, as, long as they got snowshoes, you know, they could uh, they could make it down, right? But um, the idea that there's there's going to be parts that you know, the further north you go, you know, it's starting to look a lot like. Well, well oh, I don't know. What's one of those frozen planets uh, in the outer solar system, like um, Neptune, Uranus? Is it is it Io? Is the one that supposedly has an ocean? Oh, yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah. You know. Look, put top you know, top end and the bottom end of the planet are starting to look like the surface of Io. Which, actually, let's let's zip over to some of our fictions because um, that reminds me of a pail of air. Um, do we want to at least go ahead and name drop some of our uh, some of our uh, uh, fictional apocalypses that involve uh, either winter being the primary cause or certainly a a a major factor in the story. Yeah, well, uh, bring up that one, and then I could uh, I'll bring up one from one of our well-renowned, uh, lo loving authors that we've okay. talked about before. Well, as far as Earth turning into the surface of Io, I wanted to point out there's a 1951 story uh, by Fritz Lieber, the guy who brought us Preferred and the Gray Mouser. Um, 
It appeared in Galaxy Magazine. It's called A Pale of Air. And the basic idea of this story is, is that um, uh, the, there's a, a group of survivors living in a cave uh, on Earth where Earth has been jerked out of its orbit by a dark star, which I guess was Lieber's, you know, 1951 moniker for a, a black hole that passed through our solar system and jerked a bunch of planets out of orbit with its gravity well. And the Earth is now in an orbit where the, the atmosphere has frozen and has uh, landed down on the Earth in, in layers uh, so that um, uh, the... Uh, the family that's in this uh, sort of bunker, they have to go outside every day and fetch a pail of frozen oxygen crystals <laughs> and bring it inside and thaw it out. So not only will it, you know, put more oxygen in their shelter, but it'll actually supply the oxygen for the heating apparatus, which is fired by coal because they're, like, living in a cave. So they have to, like, mine coal and then burn it, but it only burns if there's oxygen and... Um, that was definitely a cold apocalypse. Um, by the end of the story, they are, of course, uh, rescued um, by uh, guys who are scientists from Los Alamos or someplace like that where they've got nuclear reactors to provide heat for little colonies. But the surface of the Earth is essentially all life is extinct. Um, all life is extinct. Uh, there is no oxygen. The Earth is now like... Io or one of those moons of Saturn or something like that. Um, that was a that was a pretty fucking cold apocalypse. It doesn't get much colder than you know frozen oxygen crystals on your doorstep. And then uh, another book by uh, author John Christopher, which we've talked about before, uh, mm -hmm. did a book called uh, The Long Winter, and I have a old copy of that right here, which was a a new ice age, you know, came on, uh, freezing up the northern hemisphere. And John Christopher, if, uh, if you folks didn't know, he's a uh, British author, uh, and he's, he did other things like, uh, you know, the uh, the tripods uh, series, as well as uh, Nobody to Grass. So he's done a lot of apocalyptic uh, fiction here. There's also and, Wrinkle in the Skin, which is apparently an earthquake apocalypse. Yeah, he does it's all. It's a seismic all apocalypse. Yeah. So in the long winter, basically, what is it? It's, it's kind of like, uh, isn't it like re reverse British imperialism? Isn't this kind of like, isn't that kind of the theme of the story, really? Yes, where all the white people have to go to Nigeria to avoid the freezing cold to find food, and they all end up living in slums and, uh, you know, having to work as domestics for the Nigerians. And, um, uh, yes, it's, it, it's pretty hard. It's not looking too good for whitey, to say the least. Um, and um, that they do in the day after the movie too, right? Uh, all the northern people from the northern states end up uh, uh, begging to get into Mexico and then crashing through, uh, basically running across the uh, the Rio Grande, busting their way into Mexico as illegal aliens to work as wetbacks for uh, uh, for Mexican families and stuff. Fro like that. Frostbacks, because they're coming yeah, from the frost area. They're frostbacks. Oh, yeah, um, yeah. Let's see. Let's talk about that uh, wonderful movie, The Day After Tomorrow. Uh, hold, yeah. on, hold on just a second. I want to say on the on the, the long winter, or the it's either the long winter or the world in winter, I think was the original. Yeah. Um, the, uh, there's, there is an aspect of that sort of like, you know, ha-ha colonialism. Yeah. But I also recall there was like aspects where 
I want to say that the, the that maybe the Russians and the Americans are not asking to come south, but are just invading. Like they're just sort of genocidally pushing aside the Mexicans and the Central Americans, or uh, shooting their way through Canton and Vietnam to get down to some place you know that isn't frozen. Uh, I, I don't remember, but it's completely plausible because again, it's a British perspective of the two superpowers. So I could totally see. Yeah. Being that being the case, yeah. yeah. Um, the uh, the the especially uh, especially because this was written. Uh, I think the let me tell you the date. Fifties or sixties? It was sixty-two. Was it sixty-two? Well, Wikipedia says so. Yeah, Wikipedia is always right. And Wikipedia is right because that's what it says in the book. So okay. Cold, kind of Cold War. So yeah. So um uh, and the basic you know the basic story follows a guy who go who, who finally leaves. As Britain is breaking down, uh, leaves, goes to Lagos, uh, and then is given the mission of being basically a native guide for a an, uh, a Nigerian expedition back to England. Yep. And yep. I do not remember what they were going back for, but I want to say it had something. To, it might have had something to do with trying to recover Britain's nuclear assets. I think so. Yeah, like the Nigerians are looking to be a nuclear power or something, and they're they've got some interest in recovering the you know I don't launch codes or something, but um, you know, uh, uh, and and I want to say it had something to do with like it's still apartheid South Africa, and the Nigerians are like, well, what do you think we're going to use the nukes on? You know, it's going to be the apartheid government of South Africa, and. Uh, you know, our hero's like, oh, good, I get to help genocide happen for the price of three hots and a cot because I'm a refugee with, you know, absolutely nothing now. He's, you know, he's got absolutely nothing. And I, I guess part of that is definitely a comment on, you know, the various uh, Native peoples who have assisted imperialism over the years. You know, why, why would the Crow Indians help the white man? Well, because... They were they were poor and they needed you know three hots and a cot and a bowl of rice you know whatever it was that they could get out of the deal because everyone's so destitute. Yeah. So it was it was a, it was a decent book. I said there was more going on about that than just really a cold winter. You know. Uh, yeah, and it certainly was bigger. It's on a bigger scale than No Blade of Grass, right? Because No Blade of Grass is just one group of people's view of the apocalypse, but you know this one you get this very very wide view of the world. Yeah, because it's global in the story. But uh, do you yeah. go to day after tomorrow? Yeah, well, Clint just recently watched that by right recommendation, and I think <laughs> I could I think I could quote uh, Clint saying that the only thing that would have made that movie tolerable would have been a t uh, flying sharks or something like that. Yeah. <laughs> well, like, my wife and I christened it. Christened it the day after t uh, tomorrow. Because uh, and I said, "What about the, was it? What about ice sharks?" And he's like, "That would have been." He goes, "That would have been great." <laughs> I was actually hoping for ice sharks at points. So. <laughs> yeah, I, I I love the um the ridiculous. What was it? The tor reverse tornadoes. Yeah. Reverse tornadoes pull the cold of the upper atmosphere down. I'm like, you realize it's cold because, you know, it's a vacuum. I mean, there's there's. Less and less atmosphere up there, but okay. It's going to pull yep. all the cold down, of which apparently there's a ton, and freezes literally just <laughs> people just freezing in mid step all across the world. 
And then the actual people that are still alive, the actors, are walking around with their, their jackets open around their necks and no frost clouding their beards, right? Because if you live where I live and you have a beard, when you're outside, you don't get to see your facial hair. You just get to see a cloud of white stuck to your face. Okay. <laughs> how fast does that? How fast does it actually turn into icicles? Yeah, uh, it takes a while to turn into icicles, but it it becomes frost like frost white uh, 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 covered hair in a minute in the cold, right? Uh, but when I was a kid, I used to work uh, flooding outdoor rinks for hockey, and uh, we. Uh, we would shoot the air out of or the water out of the hose and get covered in sprayback and stuff like that, and that stuff would freeze on us in within a, a minute or so, and then you'd get covered in more of it. So you'd actually have to quit doing that and go back, go inside, and break all the ice off of your clothes so you could come out and relieve the other guy who was now going in to break all the ice off of his clothes. One of the one of the things they showed in Entourage, the, the the fast runner, was this stuff where the Eskimos, all their drinkable water is in bags that they wear, like, you know, a, a leather bag around their neck next to their skin. Sure. Unless yeah. their unless their body heat is there to liquefy it, it's a rock. Yep. <laughs> You're not drinking that rock. It's not happening. Nope. Uh, and to go back to uh, the after tomorrow, because one of the one of our uh, wait, hold on, am I muted? No. One of one of our listeners uh, asked. He asked a couple questions. I'm going to bring them up here. He will, first thing is about the day after tomorrow, because he says he's a fan of uh, Dennis Quaid and enjoyed the movie. I'm sorry, um, but he goes, "But is the science plausible?" Is the first part of that question. It's and we kind of talked about that. Is that science plausible? The all of a sudden instant freeze? I don't think so. Uh, I didn't buy the I didn't buy the the science on the grounds that um, uh, it was. Shenanigans. It was shenanigans. It was a it was a, uh, a a super fast way to bring on this ice age, which is the kind of thing that you know creeps up on you over a century, you know, yeah. as opposed to you know a weekend. Um, and, you know, and one of the things I loved was when the cold was coming. And they're running down the hall to get away from the cold. Oh my and God! They and, 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 it, and it stopped by a closed door with a little fire inside. Really? Yeah, I, I, that was only the villain, right? Cold as monster. Right? Yeah, yeah. The cold chases them the same way that heroes and movies have been chased by explosions, uh, usually base explosions. And the other thing that always chases heroes. Is earthquake? What was that shitty movie? The uh, uh, with with uh, John Cusack. Yeah, what was it called? Not the day after tomorrow, or you know, wasn't the day after tomorrow, but it was like came out almost. A, they were close to each other, and I, I can't remember. Twenty twelve, I think it was called. Yes, that was it. Twenty twelve. Where how many times they have to fucking run away from collapsing everything? Oh no! The, oh no! The disaster was chasing them, and they were running away. It was ridiculous. Oh my god! Every time I, we're going to be getting some more of that in um, San Andreas. So, um, so that was the first part of his question. The yeah. Second part of that question was, and which which books would you burn first? <laughs> I would burn the tables. The huge fucking wooden tables that were no, all... No, no, it says what... No, he asked specifically, what book would you burn first? Well, I, you'll notice that they, they had a good choice. I, I believe in the movie they actually said, 
well, there's all these books that are like the tax code for the state of New York. Yeah. We're never going to need that shit again. So we'll just start with the tax codes. Well, I, I, know, I know what books would be good to burn first because there's a huge supply of them thanks to the Gideons. You know? <laughs> there you go. There's an endless supply of fire starters there. Which is, which is why that crappy book of Eli was so crappy. Oh, there's no Bibles left, Roy. <laughs> We're gonna run out. It, of it's, it's only it's only like the number one printed book ever, you know. So yeah, that and Scientology, you know, that's it. Well, that's another thing I would burn. If there was any chance of getting rid of every copy of Dianetics, you well, guess I would. It, yes. Except for the ones etched in metal, you have to do something. Well, about you, that. I think we can take those and make them into airplanes later, but. Yeah, it's, it's titanium, but yes, I'm burning every copy of Scientology's Dianetics I can get my hands on. No, that's you want metal ones as heat reflectors because the those that fire in the side of that massive room is gonna gonna warm up roughly five square feet. Mm -hmm. It's gonna go right out of that fucking room, right? So all those people sitting there underneath their coats, the only heat that they actually have is whatever their bodies are generating. Yes, because the heat's not even getting through the coat. Right. Hey, hey, hey! Stop throwing your reality into my fantasy movies. But uh... I have a like I have a fireplace in my house, and we don't use it in the winter because it's too fucking cold. Okay, explain that one to me because that sounds hard. Well, like well, Clint said, it doesn't get very far. You, uh... Like you can, I mean, you can have a fire in the winter, right? In our fireplace, and it's a big fireplace. It's about eight feet across and about five feet high, right? Uh, with a, an aperture that's maybe four by three or something like that. It's a good-sized fireplace in an old house with high ceilings, right? We have not great insulation, and it doesn't heat our front room that the room the fireplace is in, let alone the other several uh, rooms of the house, right? So if we don't, if we have our heat turned down and we rely on the fireplace, we're going to be sitting in the fucking coals trying to stay warm. Mm. So oh, that's that's grimo. <laughs> you can still cook food on it, like you can, uh -huh. you know, put wieners on it and stuff like that. But the, most of the heat ends up going out the the top of the fireplace. Right. Now he had a he had a second question here. And by the way, it looks like you got a uh, is, that, is that a snow leopard you got over your left hand shoulder there, uh, Clint? <laughs> uh, yeah, it's actually uh, it's it's not that close. It's much further away, but big. <laughs> I think it's only about four feet away. It's actually forty feet away, and the size of a tiger. So. Oh, yeah. nice. Uh, second question: um, the the tagline of the win of winter is coming. Does that make Game of Thrones a cold apocalypse? No. Ooh, that's an interesting point because all the critter, all the bad critters are are winter monsters. Yes, but uh, I never I never watched Game of Thrones. But isn't that only winter is just like a season? It's not a forever. No, thing? their winters are like their winters in their world are like seven years long. Oh, really? Yeah. They go yeah. through a they go through a warm period and a cold period. It has something to do with uh, uh, Martin's orbit. He actually the story is he actually figured out an orbit for a planet that would create long winters and long summers, and. Their their world uh, has long winters and long summers, so so they have like uh, so it's kind of like a mini cold apocalypse, not a micro. It's like a mini because it doesn't last forever. Yeah, they're, they're, you know their winters are, a bad winter is eight years long. 
Mm. Okay, good there, winners are four, three. But the Game of Thrones is is uh, a winter apocalypse, the same way that like Playboy is porn. Ah. <laughs> ah. It never shows up, right? <laughs> it's always up there in the middle, like up in the north with the Black Watch fighting and and shit like that, and the the monsters threatening to come south, but. Um, it's you know they never give you the big reveal. You never get to see pubes, so yeah, you never actually see that. You the things don't so, act. The White oh, Walkers oh, actually oh, hold, on. hold on. So so in Game of Thrones you don't see any pubes. Is you're trying to oh, say? Oh no, you see lots of pubes, <laughs> lots of pubes but no winter. No oh, okay. winter. Yeah. There's more pubes in Game of Thrones <laughs> than there is. No. Well, <laughs> they show off pubes in the winter. Yeah. Well, well, you say you never get to see the winter. That's because winter is coming. It hasn't. It hasn't got there yet. It's coming. Right. So then, is that does that make it a cold apocalypse? Right? Yeah. Or is it? Well, just it's certainly a threatening one. Yeah, it's just a tease. So. Yeah, but it doesn't deliver. It's a good point. Okay. Now the, the last thing, the, the, the last movie I've seen that's a cold apocalypse is the colony. Yeah. Yeah. Let's talk about. Let's talk about the colony. Then, then I want to bring up his third, uh, his third question. And I want to point out that both the colony and Day After Tomorrow were made in Canada. So <laughs> apparently, you you give these Canucks uh, a shot at the apocalypse, and the first thing they think of is snow, for good reason apparently. From what but you're you describing, Clint. You're <laughs> I don't know where those movies were made, but they weren't made in the cold. No, no, but they were shot in Toronto. That's where they made um, uh, uh, the uh, the Day After. Tomorrow and the colony, uh, yes, was still made in Canada uh, by a Canadian um, production but, company. But it was it was definitely a cold apocalypse. You know, the world had gone cold, and they talked about a lot of things. You know, they're surviving. They're underground for warmth. They have uh, greenhouses to try to grow food. There's no light. Resources are scarce because that's how it would get to be. Because things wouldn't work. Because because you know, the first round of cold, how long are, like, uh, just to think about it, en like, engines and cars going to let? They're, like, they're going to, unless you've got an antifreeze, and the antifreeze is going to eventually go out of those, it's going to crack your engines. Because the water's going to, that's why you have antifreeze, because the water cracks, water cracks your engine. So you're going to lose vehicle, because it's going to get so cold, if it's a cold apocalypse, that the antifreeze ain't going to work. Well, I got the impression that they were getting their power from wind generation. Yeah, but said that's still equipment. If it's that cold, yeah. it's gears and motors and stuff moving. You, you get, how do you keep how do you, how do you keep something lubed? You know, you know. I mean, well, oil you know, you know. The, I'll tell you how the Russians did it. Uh, when they sent their little uh, tank or little crawler up to the moon, one of their questions was, is how do we, you know, how do we lubricate the gears and the engines? They actually used powder because it was so cold on the moon. Obviously, that you know any liquid. Uh, lubricant would freeze. They use this micro fine powder uh, to make their their the gears work. And I, I I can think of some. There's definitely some science fiction out there where people have got you know you're gonna fire a gun in space. Well, you can't oil a gun because the oil will freeze. Instead, the gun is rubbed with that micro fine powder to cut down on the friction so you can fire it in a, in an environment that that's that's that cold as as outer space. Hmm. And just so we're clear, I I could be wrong, but I believe that the antifreeze that we have around here is good for something like minus fifty six degrees. No, oh, wow. Uh, I mean, okay, you know, it's it's Canada, so we have that. Whereas if the if the cold apocalypse comes to you know whatever Kansas, chances are there won't be 
antifreeze for minus 56 degrees Celsius. But. Oh, I don't know. Kansas actually has some horrible cold. It's when it gets to Mississippi, Alabama, you know, <laughs> Texas, Louisiana, that everyone's going to be standing around like frozen statues. So, so the colony was a pretty good, again, it was a good cold apocalypse film. So they touched on those things of real survival. And, of course, they threw in, you know, one of the standard tropes, you know, of the bad guys. Let's not spoil that because it's still a recent movie. But it's a trope. It's, you've seen it before, oh, yeah. you know. Yeah. But, uh, but I was happy with the trope as opposed to another. They could have used other tropes like, oh, it's supernatural or it's, you know, mutant monsters or something, you know, like, you know, the bad guys, but, you know, it's, but it's a trope that I think made a little more sense in that environment, you know? Well, you know, um, speaking of cold apocalypses, we were, we were discussing um, how the road fit in, because the road has this thing where the temperatures are down everywhere, there's no new life, there's no... Because there's no sun, everything's dying. Yeah. Um, it did have a cold apocalypse feel to it on some levels, you know? Oh, yeah? This miserable cold... The, yeah, t ten, ten years later, everything's cold, slush, dead trees, there's nothing. Yeah. Um, so certainly uh, the road might fall into uh, a cold apocalypse. Um, even though we don't know what it was that brought the world to this level, is it is it ash in the upper atmosphere from nuclear war? Is it a nuclear winter? We don't really know. They don't tell us. But boy, Viggo Mortensen looks miserable the whole movie long. He just doesn't look like. He looks like. He looks like he needs a fucking fire. <laughs> oh, yeah. Well, what about the time where he, where he encountered the guy who took their shit and he takes all his shit? He's like, man, don't do me like this because he left him with nothing. Literally, in, in his in his shorts. You know, I think they they leave it. They almost like did they leave him naked with no shoes, with his feet on that cold ground. Underwear. Underwear. Oh, the ground's just sucking the heat out of the soles of his feet. You know, man, he's gonna. That's the why the cold apocalypse is scaring me so much is cold will kill you so goddamn fast. Yep. Maybe even fast. I think it will kill you faster than, than the heat, won't it? Yeah. I mean, the kind of I heat was, that we're capable of. Go ahead. Sir. I was putting money in a meter uh, yesterday when I was going to my friendly local, local gaming store. And the... Uh, First of all, the meter was frozen, so it wouldn't take my credit card. Uh, <laughs> secondly, uh, when oh, I, God. I spent two minutes with my glove off uh, handling the credit card and working the keys for the, the uh, parking meter, the computerized parking meter, and I, my, I had tears coming to my eyes from the degree of pain in my hand from the wind chill and the cold in two oh. minutes of not handling metal tools or gun handles or that kind of shit like they always show in Cold Apocalypse stuff where they're yeah. walking along and they've got their hoods up but they've got no gloves, right? And uh, their hands aren't just frozen lumps of meat on the ends of their stumps. Uh, <laughs> stuff like that. Uh, so Sometimes you get a little of that whenever you find like some nice World War II film set in Stalingrad. Oh yeah, you know, and they show how poor these, how cold these these German gentlemen are in the, in the yeah. Russian winter. That's when it starts to look like, oh, I, the Russians are attacking, but my hands don't work anymore. Whoops! Well, they're just wearing leather jack boots, right? It's just yeah, awful. Your feet, uh, pieces fall off if you're not careful with your feet in the cold. Oh, yeah. Again, that article I was reading about cold survival. They're like, yeah, you get yourself a 
good pair of insulated, warm winter boots. Because, like, leather boots ain't going to do it. You're going to lose your toes, you know? Nope. Nope. Yeah, I got a pair of those rubberized uh, duck boots with the big felt, um, you know, uh, uh, lining inside, you know. And I took those with me to, to Russia. Uh, the one time I went, uh, and it was in the winter, and um, even so, I did not have the right kind of pants. All I had were jeans, so yeah. I'm wearing like jeans with sweatpants and long underwear inside them to try and make up the difference, and yeah. it was just a good thing that I wasn't, you know, outdoors as much as I could have been, um, because that that parka and those gloves and those boots... Didn't make a damn bit of difference when that wind blew right through my, right through my cojones. Holy shit! Oh yeah, uh, it was it's horrifying. Been, it's been a couple of decades since we've had a storm that has literally literally shut down the city uh, where I live, but we've had a few in my lifetime. I think the last one was in uh, in the mid '90s, something like that. And uh, uh, there were no cars moving. There were the only people that were moving were uh, uh, the uh, uh, the regular forces with half tracks, uh, stuff like that, and people on snowmobiles, and they organized snowmobile uh, uh, caravans to carry, take people to hospital, and uh, uh, and uh, to uh, dig people out of uh, snowbanks and stuff like that. Uh, and I remember walking down uh, Portage Avenue, which is one of the main streets in our town, and you couldn't see the the ground floor of most of the buildings in uh, uh, on Portage Avenue. It was just the, the the snow had sort of piled up, drifted up on the sides, so that the windows on the ground floor were effectively covered. Oh, well, all, all it takes. What, what was it, Scott? What it was like an inch of snow in Seattle. It shut it down uh, like yeah, a year, a couple yeah, years ago. There was a there was a big you know uh, to do because. Um, the uh, the mayor and the city council made about five bad decisions in a row about how they're going to deal with snow. One of the things they decided they weren't going to do anymore was put down any salt because it was bad for the environment. And I'm like, <laughs> which was insane because we don't put down salt more than two times a decade. I mean, we only put down we'll have a little. It's not it's not Milwaukee. It's not Toledo. It's not yeah. you know. Um, uh, Sheboygan or Winnipeg, and so they're like, "Oh no, we don't do salt's bad for the environment," you know. And so they didn't put it'll get washed into Lake you your Lake uh, Washington. And despite the fact all of our sewers dump into the saltwater sound, but regardless, we got like four inches, maybe five, and 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 it was right during Christmas. Up, oh, the 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 snow tiger is attacking Clint. Yeah, yeah. Clint, watch out! Too cold. That's too cold. <laughs> but uh, it it was it, it absolutely paralyzed the city because the city did not have any of the infrastructure oh, in yeah. place. They had made a decision, you know, based on sort of ecological panic reasons, uh, not to be prepared. You know, and uh, it hit right during it was Christmas of 2008 when every merchant was depending during the economic crash on people coming out, and people could not get out of their houses to go shop, and. What do you know? We got a new mayor the next, you know. Well, it was like it was like. But imagine snow in imagine that level of snow where you are, sir. Oh, forget! Oh, forget it! Oh no! It was uh. Last year, there was like an inch of snow in Atlanta, and it shut the city down. You're right. 
an yeah. inch, an inch in Atlanta, which gets snow. You know, they get cold, they get snow. An inch shut the city down. People were trapped in their cars for the like 12 hours. You know, it's insane. So, yeah, cold, cold is bad. Christmases, we get white Halloweens. Oh, yeah. shit, you, you were telling me, Clint, that, like, in July you still had snow on the ground, like, in piles and places. Uh, we have uh, our snow clearing area in Winnipeg becomes a mountain by uh, uh, by the end of the winter. And, uh, is what that I was where all the snow is dumped from around the city? Yeah, basically all the snow from, from street clearing and stuff like that gets piled into one huge mountain. I mean, Winnipeg is, is literally as flat as a pancake, right? There's no hills or anything like that. But this one mountain is all snow and the sand. We don't put salt down. We, we our Winnipeg, they scatter sand, right? So between the snow and the sand, it's really resistant to heat, like to, to melting, right? So even in July and August when we're getting you know, uh, 90 degree temperatures Fahrenheit, right? We've still got a mountain of snow that's probably 25 feet high, right? Uh, in places like the this one last mountain of snow. Good. So I don't know when it finally goes, but I remember emailing Jared at the time because we were texting back, IMing back and forth on Facebook, and the 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 local press had just put up a story that Mount Winnipeg was still there, was hasn't fully melt, melted yet, and it was I think the end of July. Just coming up to going to Gen Con time. Arg. Oh. And uh, yeah, I know. Have, uh, in Winnipeg, everybody buys their kids uh, Halloween costumes that are big enough for parkas to go underneath. <laughs> we have probably half of our Halloweens have snow on the ground. So. Uh, so uh, third question, uh, <laughs> everybody, I want to ask them is, uh, what three things would you do? What what three things would be on your cold apocalypse wish list or survival list? <laughs> dogs. <laughs> dogs for a dog sled. Um, because you can eat them <laughs> eventually. <laughs> I'm going to vote for dogs. and Oh, what the fuck would be on my list? Um, well, let's make an assumption here. If you have a cold, if you have a cold apocalypse survival list, that you're already kind of in a cold, maybe so. Maybe you have some basic police clothing, so you'd have to say, "Well, everybody has to have a parka." Let's say other bits of gear. Well, let's well I'll tell you what. I, I think I'd vote for a Moisson Nagant rifle, because everything I hear uh, about those old World War II vintage Russian rifles was that they had a really good reputation for working in sub-zero temperatures, um, that they wouldn't freeze up because they were. Not the most, maybe they weren't, you know, as quite the queen of the gun range like the uh, Mauser 98, but uh, they seem to work under all the worst, most horrible conditions. Um, so God knows I'd like, I'd like something reliable. I'd like a nice, reliable bolt-action rifle. That would be nice. And I'd, I'm still not sure I should say anything bad about a dog sled. Well, maybe well a dog. From, from, the, from, the man, from the man who lives in the great white north, what would you what would you have, Clint? It's gonna sound stupid, but um, toilet paper and alcohol. <laughs> That's you can do a lot besides the obvious with toilet paper and alcohol. Start right? fires. Start not well, not just start fires, but if you can make a toilet paper lamp uh, with alcohol and toilet paper that burns a lot fast, a lot longer than and hotter than. Uh, than either of those things to them by themselves. So uh, 
That I like that plan. Uh, because, like you say, uh, wood becomes problematic. So, or, or at least any kind of fuel. I, I would have I would have no idea living in Florida for 35 years. You know, I would probably say naive things like uh, one of those little fire starter things. You know, because maybe you got to be able to start a fire. Oh, good call. Yeah, it's one of you those know. ones that you just hand crank with the uh, something. Some, some one of those something that's maybe a fire starter because fire is going to be, as Jack London uh, let us know, fire being able to get a fire started is important. Yep. Fire starter, and if it's going to be snow. I would say that maybe uh, a good pair of snowshoes. Good you gotta, pair of snowshoes is even better than the dog sled team. Because you got to be able to. You can move in snow, but the snowshoes are going to help you move even better. You know, at least you can move around. Um, uh, and thirdly, there's one in the colony. They wore snowshoes on their backs yeah. everywhere they went. Never used them. <laughs> Oh, like when they were walking across the snow, they didn't fucking use them? Walking over dunes of snow that were like 15 feet high, and their feet are going in about an inch. Yeah, okay. So that's not actually how that works. That's why you're supposed to use snowshoes, because yeah, it distributes your weight so you can walk over them? I'm, I'm definitely voting for the uh, for the manual a manual fire starter that would make sparks so you could do an ignition source without fuel, and the snowshoes, those are two really good suggestions. Um, I got one more. Okay. A hand, crank, a hand crank flashlight. You can get little flashlights that have a, a, a crank and a dynamo yep. so that it'll, it'll store energy for a little while. You don't, it doesn't need batteries. And uh, at least where we are, the not, it's not just the winters, but in the winter, the nights last for freaking ever. Hmm. Yeah, we, right. we got we got a lot of those things down here because of hurricanes, hand cranked radios and uh, and flashlights are things that are that are still marketed down here because yeah. when, your, when your power goes out, you know. Same here, uh, for exactly the same reason because we have power outages in January. So, wow. Um, what is uh, uh is uh, is your are your windows the kind of thing that you just have to have? Some um, does everybody have a backup generator? Does nope. everybody have nope? Um, does everybody have a pile of wood outside? That they've uh, we have a pile of wood that will keep us for uh, uh, a couple of days. Uh, if uh, if the power goes out, we can we can burn in our uh, uh, in our fireplace and survive. But all of our stuff will be moved down to the front room because the rest of the house will start to develop frost on surfaces, right? <laughs> on the insides. Yeah, on the insides, yeah. I was, <laughs> laugh. well, well, the moisture in well, the air starts to turn to frost. Well, yep. look, we'll look at for, and, and this is the last thing I'm going to bring up because I want to start wrapping this up here. Um, let's talk about a micro cold apocalypse, kind of, sort of, maybe, is uh, the thing, you know? Oh, yeah. Uh, yeah, me and Clint talked about that because remember when they go into the basement storage? Everything's frozen because they're not heat. They're not heating it, yep. so it's the frost, and that's what's gonna. That's what your house is gonna look like, right, Clint? Absolutely. Well, right. Well, it's it's even yeah, worse because. It's, but you don't need one once the power goes power goes out. You can store it on the floor, right? So we got a freezer full of meat, but we don't. Once it's once it's cold everywhere else, you can just store your meat everywhere. <laughs> now, that, that that's what she said. Ah. ah. 
I wanted to throw out a couple of more of our snow apocalypses. Of course, there was uh, Snowpiercer, right? Snowpiercer. We, we talked about recently. Uh, Snowpiercer definitely, and it's and it's very, it's almost an identical cold apocalypse to the colony. Oh no, global warming. Well, we'll fix it with science. Oops, we broke the earth. You know, yeah. and now everything's frozen. Although, again, Snowpiercer was less about uh, the the snow and the cold as it was about haves and have-nots and the 1% versus the rest of us. But still, Cold Apocalypse is the setting for that one. Um, uh, there's the Midnight Sun, which is the uh, Twilight Zone episode, yep. where the woman's having the nightmares about the city melting from the heat and the paint is running on paintings and she's you know freaking out from the, the sunstroke and it turns out she's just having a delirious dream because... The world is freezing. Oh, oh, come on. Spoiler alert, Scott. That episode, that episode only came out 60 years ago. Yeah, <laughs> and the thing that always got me about that one is I want to say it was the same problem. No, as the, 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 earth, the earth was moving moved further away from the sun. Yeah, then it was the same problem in Pale of Air. Um, so Midnight Sun, um, there's a comic from the late 80s called Winter World. Which, which they've uh, IDW is now redoing. It's out so now. It was Chuck Dixon and Jorge, Jorge Zafino did it back in the 88. Uh, 80s. But I don't know. But Zafino's gone, so I don't know who's he illustrating did, yeah. it now, but it's back. Yeah, um, he, it's, yeah he, di he died in uh, 2002. Okay. And, um, yeah, IDW's redoing it, so that's, been, that's coming out again. And there's... Uh, yeah, I mean, there's some books. There's like that. There's a there's a collected paperback of the original comics available. You can get it on Amazon. Not a problem. It's like thirteen bucks. You know, that's pretty cheap. Uh, and I'm I'm just I was look, trying to look up how many pages it is. Um, 152 pages, thirteen bucks, uh, and it's the original Winter World from 1988. And, um, and there's also uh, there's a web comic that I I discovered like ten years ago. Called Post Nuke Comic. Um, he only got about um, about ten issues out. It's about this guy and his dog surviving in a nuclear winter. It's uh, I mean he hasn't done, he hasn't had an update to the site since like 2012. And uh, but but it's but it's out. It's like it's po it's literally postnukecomic.com. Um, I read through it a little bit. It's okay, but again, it's in a winter world. And it's interesting because again, it, it, he kind of brings up. It looks like he brings up things that like Clint talks about, like his face is covered with like a breather because it freezes up because you know because of the cold air, so covers his eyes. He has a dog, but the dog is even wrapped like in like strips of cloth and has like a breather on. You know, so he kind of looks like he kind of addresses extreme cold a little bit in, in this in this web comic. Yeah. The uh, the last one I'm going to throw out uh, as far as films with cold apocalypses is the film Quintet from 1979, yep. directed by Robert Altman, who's supposed to be a good director, but not on this movie. <laughs> this film has um, Paul Newman in it, a um, couple other actors. Is Fernando Ray, I know him, um, and I don't know some of the other actors here off of the IMDb listing. But uh, the basic deal is it's, it's, a, it's set in a frozen world. There has been some sort of new ice age, and society has collapsed, and it's you know it's all it's all over now, uh, except for the shouting. 
And the one thing that's going on in the... How's my phone? Sorry, my phone keeps ringing. So, my... Somebody really wants to talk to me. Um, Perhaps they didn't like my review of Quintet. They're calling directly. Um, But it's this, you know, it's this thing where the city that they go, there's there's one city, it's never identified. It's clearly falling apart. There doesn't appear to be anything like government. There's just families living in the ruins and dogs eating the dead in the streets and um, uh, and uh, Paul Newman plays this guy who's this sort of seal hunter who's run out of seals and he's come back to the city to, to sort of regroup with his family or something but the entire city is obsessed with doing with playing this game called quintet and at first it looks like it's a chess game played on a board but eventually you discover that the game is essentially like Steve Jackson's The Assassination Game, where everyone's just murdering everyone, you know, to, to win the game of quintet. And while that sounds like a really great idea for a movie, Robert Altman sucks all the life out of this film by having it proceed at a pace slightly slower than the glaciers that destroyed civilization. Nothing happens forever and ever and ever I remember it as being mind-numbingly boring with performances that are so muted as to be just characterless. Um, so I, I did not, I can't give any kind of a thumbs up to Quintet, but if you're interested to see some, you know, 1979 uh, apocalypses, you know, because again, they had some good ones back then, but you know, this is not necessarily one of them. But clearly, they didn't think we were going to do where the weather was going to get us, or you know, the uh, nukes, the nukes, or the disease. You know, Mega Man, or we breed each other to death in Soylent Green. You know, uh, speaking of cannibals, uh, yeah, it, it, it's it's in that same sort of vein, but it just it doesn't have any of the the colony day after tomorrow. Um, uh, these might not be great films, but at least something happens. Yep. You know. Yeah, I I, I like I liked the colony more than I liked the day after tomorrow. So that's yep. easy. Me too. Yeah. yeah. That's easy. That's easy. <laughs> so so that's uh, that's going to be it for uh, Cold Apocalypse uh, this week, folks. We covered a lot of territory. You know, like I said, there's not a, there's not a lot of material out there. Um, but you know, like I said we we talked a lot about real possible Cold Apocalypses and what they get wrong because. Of our, you know, cold expert, you know, <laughs> staples. Uh, but no, no, Clint, you, you put a really good perspective on it because you live in a cold environment a lot of times of the year, and you know, there's real shit that happens with it that they don't really, you know, take into account. So, I, I gotta tell you, you know, I would like to point out in closing, as the cold expert, as you put it, that I actually do everything possible as do most other people who live up here, to stay out of the cold as much as possible. So that is how people mostly try and deal with the cold in the really bad months here. Right? The, the people that I have a lot of admiration for are people like city workers and other people who are out uh, doing roofing or other really horrible jobs, uh, totally exposed to really cold weather and horrid wind chills. So. Roofing? Jesus! Yep. You can't leave that till spring, huh? No. <laughs> I need a new. I need a new roof on part of my house, and the uh, the roofer that I was talking to said, said, "Well, you know, we're free after December." 
<laughs> they roof all the way through the winter. Oh my and god! I, just, I guess I guess when you need a roof, you need a roof, you know. Well, and more importantly, I guess if you got to eat, you got to eat, right? But yeah, I, I mean, oh, it's you, just horrible. You think you take a vacation to Florida? I know what. So, see, when it comes to the cold, the thing that scares me is you could be dropped into a desert environment in your street clothes, and you know you're gonna make it a couple of days until you dehydrate, you know, or sunstroke. Yeah. But there are things you can do just in your street clothes to protect yourself. You're dropped into a winter environment in your street clothes. You're just—that's just your life oozing away with every calorie. And oh, you're, you're 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 fucked by uh, by dinner time. You know you're yeah. done. You know. Yeah, you're you're it's it's killing you in in in, in hours or minutes, de depending on how awful it is. You know, you talk about dropping people in water that's just uh you know the hypothermia levels of water, which is what something like. 50 degree water? Yeah. You know, it doesn't have to be 39 degrees or something. Or, you know, 50 degree water will kill you in minutes. Yep. Um, that's pretty horrifying to me. I, I, the, the, it, and cold gets you quick. Um, yep. You got almost no opportunities to fix the problem you're in uh, before it's got you. Unlike the heat or the dry or a desert, you know, which is the other end of the, the nasty scale, I guess. Exactly. So, like I said, we've determined that, yeah, the cold apocalypse, not, nah, like I said, it's going to be unpleasant. Yeah. So, uh, so uh, that's it, folks. Uh, we're, On the plus we're, side, it might be quick. Yeah, it will <laughs> be quick. So, anyway, so uh, we're not sure what's going to be next show. We haven't actually talked about it yet, but as usual, we'll come up with something. Don't you? Don't you worry. We'll we'll entertain you for an hour plus every two weeks. Don't you? You know, don't worry. We got so, a million of them. Yeah, we got a million things to talk about. So maybe maybe we'll do the polar opposite. We'll talk about the heat apocalypse next time. Well, we got at least one German film, right? Heat. Or uh, hell, hell. hell, hell. We at least that one. And, uh, you know, there's, there's got to be more. Yeah, we, we'll, we'll, we'll do some research. Well, when we decide, folks, we'll let you know. So uh, that's it, folks. So for Podcast Act Round Zero... Thank you, Clint Staples, for uh, joining us this week. It's always a pleasure to have you. Thank you, uh, Adam Baumglancy, for uh, being here as usual. I don't know. I'm not good. Where else <laughs> am I going to go? What else you got? I got nothing. Yeah, you got, you got nothing to write about. Don't you worry about that. And <laughs> and, uh, and thank, thank you, Jared Apocalypse Nerd Wallace, for being here as he talks about himself in third person. Uh, so the first sign that hypothermia is setting in as you begin to refer to yourself in the third person. Exactly. So, again, thank you, folks. Thank you for joining us. Uh, again, if you like what you see here, remember to subscribe uh, to the YouTube channel, like, and like what you see there because, you know, all that, you know, the likes and the feedback uh, does help. So, uh, until next time, uh, again, we'll be back on our normal, again, we're on our normal two-week track now that the holidays are over, so we'll see in two weeks what we're going to do. It's a mystery for now. We'll surprise you. So, this is Podcast Act Round Zero signing off. Thank you and good night. Good night. <laughs>